So, Jason, so lovely to see you. Um, nice to see you, how, too. How long ago was it that we last saw each other? You know, I have to think it was near the beginning of our European program, so I'm going to guess now, because my time sense has gotten quite uh, skewed over the years. Mine too. Um, let's say 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> it has to be like that. We've had, we've had exchanges, obviously, by email and so on, but seeing each other and talking to each other, and not, another thing entirely. It certainly is. And, and um, We met in London, didn't we? We did, and I'm trying to think, I think you contacted me. Yes, I think so. I, I, it might have been through one of my uh, teachers, uh, Roxana Padmini, uh, who now teaches, uh, at that point she was assisting me, and now she is a teacher in her own right, teaching this work, and she's teaching Copenhagen. Right. But I'm not sure. I, I, I think it was through Roxana, but I'm not entirely sure. And uh, my memory was this sense of real resonance between what we were both exploring and um, where that is. And then the, 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 you know, the, the whole, the idea <clears throat> for us to connect was, was to um, A, see each other again, and B, because things had come up about oh, how, how it might have changed or, and certainly I've been saying a few different things. And, and the, the idea behind this What Is Life series has become now simply how great I get a chance to speak to you. Why not put record on and allow others to sit in on the conversation because they seem to really enjoy it. So yeah. really the essence of it is like, is that I know that what we're going to discuss will be what is life because that's what we would discuss anyway. Right. Um, and then to just explore what we explore in a way in which it might be of some benefit or interest to other people that can, you know, modern age can just sort of earwig in on it if they want to. Absolutely. I've, I've enjoyed listening to the other um, uh, pieces of all the other uh, interviews that you've done or conversations that you've done. And they have that lively exchange and um, sense of uh, mystery and awe at the same time. So it's, uh, it's lovely to participate for me. That's, that's, that's exactly it, Jason. That's what it feels like. I know from your work and the books I've read and what you're up to and just your presence that, you know, you start in that same place as me. Well, it starts and ends there, don't you think? Because yeah. it starts and ends with, what the hell? <laughs> and then in between, um, there's an exploration which actually is a really good thing to do, really helpful, but needs to come from that sense of almost reverence for the mystery, really. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think that uh, for me, uh, that wasn't, how can I put this? That sense of awe and mystery was always there for me as a poet and artist. But the main reason, so, so there was that force that brought me into spirituality, but it was also my personal suffering that wow. brought me into, uh, into the mystery because uh, I was uh, intensely aware since I was a, a very young child of, the, uh, of mortality, of the ending of life. And um, consequently, the situation I found myself in with uh, my familial background and everything that was going on uh, for me and my birth family, uh, there was a great deal of suffering for me. So the discrepancy between what I sort of knew inside as an artist and poet and musician and thinker and just lucky enough to have a genome that uh, made me think about these things and feel these things 
and to not be in a war zone, so I had the time to think about this, I, I had to uh, move toward uh, what I believed would solve this suffering that I experienced. So both awe and suffering <laughs> were <laughs> the two wings of my bird. I always feel a bit like I got away with it. I don't know, because because I know, you know, a huge number of people, it feels like, get launched into some sort of awakening because life gets so hard. And it wasn't like that for me. I had such an kind of gentle, easy, come on in <laughs> kind of, you know, and, and, and I feel like I've had it so, you know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers are, are, are here. Are your parents still alive? Are your parents still alive? No, my parents died over the last 10 years. So oh, I, think, oh, I, I was going to ask if they could adopt me. <laughs> yeah, you get a little bit of that, uh, that well i tell you what jason i mean the more the older i get and the and longer they've gone i just the other day i had a very powerful experience and and and, and where it left and was just such gratitude that they they had you know i mean it was don't get me wrong i mean there was all sorts of problems my dad was an alcoholic um, there was all sorts of things which were difficult we had a quite a rocky relationship but despite all of that it is a great gift when someone can give you a, a robust soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've often thought that the Dalai Lama is the Dalai Lama because he had a, an almost perfect upbringing. Um, you know, he was taken from his parents, but his parents lived down the hall in the, in the, in the, uh, in the monastery, whatever it's called there in, in Lhasa. And he had tutors who both loved him, but also set boundaries and so on and so on. So, he grew up in that particular way. I have gratitude also for my parents. Um, you know, they gave me a body, they gave me uh, music lessons, they gave me shelter, and they gave me problems. And uh, having those problems and being lucky enough to be endowed with the ability to consider them, put it that way, um, uh, I was able to go on my path in life. So I have to be grateful for the entire thing rather than saying, well, that part was terrible and of no use whatsoever, while it was, in fact, the vehicle that brought me to my spiritual life. Do you, I want to just grab, because I, just in passing, just because it, I really noticed it, was when you talked about yourself as an artist and... That really, I, I want, because one of the things which, I mean, I, as I remember when we met last time and looking at where, is that is the, one of the things we share is that we're both experienced and brought to this non-dual, you could call it, this transcendent awakening, and yet also a real tenderness with humanity, with the, with the, with the individuality. And, I, and that's something I associate much more with artists. And one of the things which I... I struggle with in spirituality is this rejection of the human, of the personal, of the, all the things that make, and I wonder, and, and my own journey was, was very much through seeing myself as an artist as mm. a, and, and a creator mm. and a musician. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know this. Yeah, yeah. That's what great, was the first half of my life was, was Beautiful. primarily. And I just wonder whether that's some, and, and I often feel more comfortable around artists than I do around spiritual folks for that reason. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. an engagement with the grit of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, this brings us to a very deep question or, or a deep piece of exploration. My sense, uh, to be a little provocative, but uh, really I mean this deeply, 
the uh, Advaitic or non-dual scene, as I see it in the world right now, uh, is very dualistic um, um, and not non-dual at all. Um, people are, uh, you know, I'm making a generalization, but I, I think it's uh, apt because um, we need to look at this carefully. You know what I'm saying? So it's, um, we see people trying to reach some sort of transcendent state with a subtle rejection of the human and egoic state. Uh, either feeling that it has to be that it's an illusion and or something that to be transcended to some imagined experience uh, of uh, non-egoic identity with the transcendent. Now, I always remember that this wonderful experience of the non-egoic transcendent is being registered by neurons and neuropeptides and chemicals in this extraordinary brain and body that we have. So the non-duality that interests me is the one that understands that the relative world and the so-called absolute are codependently arising, that there is no absolute that's separate from the material yeah. world. And there is no material world without this, and we have specialized names for it in the work that I've created, but there is no... Um, uh, uh, human world, of material world, without this transcendent function, and that we split them apart and talk about them because it's useful for us to do that as human beings, as scientists of the soul, so to speak. But in much of the Advaitic world that I listen to or read or have some contact with, there's this subtle separation toward taking an experience and making that what awakening is about rather than awakening being about old experiences. Fantastic. Not specialized ones. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I beautifully put really clear, Jason, I really get that. So, so something which has been, I mean, I'm, I'm doing, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but unless we do, but I'm not intending to, I'm, I'm working a lot on the nature of consciousness and changing how I'm using the word and how I'm thinking about it a lot right now. And I had an experience last week, um, which was in its way, the most, I want to say extreme, but that sounds like it, it was a very, it was a very important experience for me of Tim not being there in a, in a, in a, in a very deep way. What was interesting it was not just that, or that was interesting enough, but was what was really beautiful is a better word than interesting, actually, was that when Tim came back, what I noticed was not anymore like it would have been 20 years ago, maybe, of, oh, no, no Tim's back. You see, now back in this world, back in the separateness. It felt like, ah, Tim's allowed this to happen all along. Tim was there. It's just I wasn't looking at Tim, a bit like the, what's behind me is there, but I'm just not looking at it. Or That's right. my, my feet have been there the whole time, but until I thought feet, I wasn't conscious of them. Right. And, the, 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 I, and I could put my consciousness so deeply into the, to spirit, into that, into being, that, that Tim and, was not in my awareness at all. And yet he was there waiting for me when I came back, a bit like when Absolutely. I wake up in the morning. Absolutely. And that felt like such a much more inclusive and healthy way of understanding all of that. 
Absolutely. I love the metaphor. And let me, let me extend the metaphor from my way of thinking a little bit, which is we have the foreground and background. And usually the foreground is our egoic self with all of its details and problems and mm, both the um, sense of mortality and uh, danger, survival, the need to survive. Yeah. And yet this wonderful quality the ego has questing forward and tell me more. I want to know more about reality. Don't tell me any more about reality and please tell me more about reality at the same time. So yeah. usually we're in that. Then we have these experiences such as you've described where the reversal takes place. And suddenly Jason, Tim falls to the background and something else which allows an enormous amount of con connectivity, con connectivity, connectivity appears. The piece that I would want to add at that point is the way I see awakening is that when neither of them are foreground or background, when both of them exist simultaneously, because that's actually how they happen, Tim appears, Jason appears because of everything that's not Jason. And so when both appear and one can hold the consciousness of the absolute transcendent, which we call the impersonal, the impersonal. Yeah. And at the same time, Jason as a feature of that impersonal, then to me, that's an awakening consciousness. The, the metaphor that I've used before um, has been kind of the, the concept of an eddy in a river, that little swirl near the shore of, of water that picks up branches and leaves and little insects and twirls around. To say that it is its own thing is to deny that it's not its own thing, it's just an artifact of the river. But to say that it isn't its own thing, its own world, is to deny its identity. Beautiful. So we have this, we have this superb, fantastic moment. Yeah, but, yeah. That, that's it. It's, the, it's those both. And so I've been playing with this word. I, you know, I like messing with words. So I've been playing with the idea of a univigil. Yes, I yes, I've been, reading, I've been reading some of your work about this. So it just felt like, okay, so, so what's happening here? It feels like everything in the universe has been evolving and individuating um, for 13.8 billion years, which has got us from hydrogen to you and me having this conversation and it's arisen up through biology into this non-material realm of psyche soul and so hydrogen, hydrogen is really god isn't it <laughs> or, or you know or or yeah, god it's a bit like well it, it's really god if you are really a fertilized egg Yes, I understand. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, 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 it's the beginnings of what will become this enormous thing. Like, Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, it's like, I think it's quite a good point. It's, it's actually, I tell you, Jason, what it, it hits, just that your joke, it hits a problem I'm encountering a lot when I'm trying to explore an evolutionary spirituality um, that, I'm, that I'm becoming fell in love with because I find it so redeeming, um, has been that quite seriously, the, the sense of reductionism is so strong in the way that our culture thinks that if you say it started with hydrogen, there is a kind of feeling that people think you mean that's, the, that's what's real. 
<laughs> rather than no no that's just the beginning of reality a bit like like i said in joking back you know that you and i once were just a fertilized egg as bodies right. and now we're this and this isn't some illusion based on the reality of being a first light egg absolutely it's it's now flowing and so the same thing um so the idea of, of where that process in which you know um things can individuate, become particular, like, like the eddies in the stream. And then also in that process, join together to become something bigger. And, then, and, and it feels like what marks us out now as human beings is we, we're, we're becoming more and more individual as souls, as, as, as individual psyches. And, and the, the, through that, we're becoming conscious enough to recognize this both and that you've been pointing to, that, oh, I'm, I am Tim, and, but I'm the universe and Tim as Tim, I'm the whole thing as Tim. And that that's a jump in, in an evolutionary jump that's kind of been working its way through for a long time, but it does seem to be more, the people, the people I meet, more and more people recognize what it is now, whereas 20 yeah. years ago they, they didn't. Right, right. It was, you know, in, in our school, um, the whole first year of the program of non-dual Kabbalistic healing is spent it's amazing that anybody gets through the first year, quite, quite frankly, because the whole first year is deconstruction. Right. We don't hand people anything, practically anything to do. Right. And instead, the teacher has to hold constantly the frizzle, for lack of a better word. That's a pretty good word. I like that word. <laughs> of... of of people's nervousness, of the nervous system's nervousness at being awakened to the assumptions people have made about reality. Right. And just not taking them away because, you know, that's not the point. The point is, in fact, let me, let me just quote for a second a guiding principle in my life. A guiding principle in my life comes from the Flower Ottoman Sutra which is a great Buddhist uh, bestseller. And, <laughs> and it says, Buddhas are those who are greatly enlightened about their delusions. Ooh, I don't, I've never heard that before. I love that. It's a, it's a guiding principle. I, I, look, you know as well as I do, as we go on exploring our internal nature and so on, it can sometimes get depressing. We want to change. Uh, we have great, fantastic spiritual experiences. And then we go home and have a fight with our partner or our wife or whomever it is. Or we get angry. We find ourselves acting in ways that are completely opposite um, our intention and so on. And as those pile up on us, it can get, you know, we can get to that point where we say, oh, I'm 50 years old or 55 or 60 or 65 or 70 or 72 as I am, and I'm still dealing with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because then there's a subtle conceptualization that I should be through with this stuff. Yeah. When this particular flower ornament uh, statement, Buddhas are those who are greatly enlightened about their illusions, means bring them on the more I can be aware of them, not to start clearing them up in some imagined perfection, but no longer be ruled by them because I see them, I'm awake and awakening to them, then I have a chance at an awakening life. So 
you know, that, that process has been a, a guiding principle in, in my life because it gives me, uh, that's my, you talked about, you used the word redeeming, if I caught that correct before. That's the, the redeeming aspect of, of my life as I go on with this um, vastly imperfect uh, person I call Jason, um, who has a, a great courage and intelligence and stupidity and selfishness and arrogance and love and all of these different things. If I'm going to be on the journey with him, if I am that journey, then I have to have that principle to, to guide me. That sounds very familiar. Yeah. yeah. And one of the, one of the both, yeah, one of the both ands that uh, I've been aware of, which seems to be another what kind of in line with what you're exploring there, Jason, is that they're kind of waking up from and waking up to. Yes. It feels like we all, we all come through a culture or a subculture and then probably we head into another one and another one and another one. And there's that process of, and, and then your own nature, your own past, your own neuroses and all of this stuff. And then there's the, the waking up where you wake up from them and you see them. And, and then there's waking up too, where you're surprised by something new. So, right. Right. And a, both a, don't, don't you find both are equally important? Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and neither have stopped. I'm saying neither have stopped. Uh, neither have stopped the, the continual. Yes, absolutely. And and if and if the, and tell me if you agree here. If there's an imbalance with those two things, then we're getting into an idealization of what yeah. awakening is. If it's only waking up from, then this has been subtly rejected in favor of this new thing. If it's only waking up to. I can't do this perfectly, but waking up to, then this has been rejected also. So it's just in your metaphor, which I like very much, it has to be both. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I think it has to be continual is that, is how quickly I know, how quickly I can um, <laughs> solidify into a new thing, which is, which I don't know, I don't see it. And, and, right. And also things whereby, you know, again, the older I get, the more it feels almost embarrassing at this age, which is kind of, it's nice. It's kind of, there's a little bit of humility in there, but the, the embarrassment, I've come to love the embarrassment because right. you just feel like, oh yeah, that does me good. Of just like, wow, how can I be this old and not have noticed all of that of, you know, you mentioned my parents when my father died after that process. I just thought, wow, you know, I've been, I've been dining out on stories of the wild things I did as a teenager and a young man. And now in my fifties, I was then, I'm finally looking back at them and going, I wonder what that was like for my dad. <laughs> and it's like decades. Wow. That's like a level of not looking. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was literally this morning, uh, one of my, uh, associates, uh, emailed me because with some work on a, an e-blast we were doing and so on. And I said, let me look for some photos. I needed some photos. <clears throat> and as I was going through all the, my photos, I came across a number of photos of my dad this morning. Uh, and I, I looked at him uh, and he was in World War II. And until, yeah, we, uh, until he died at age 91, about 
I don't know, six years ago, um, we didn't realize the extent of his PTSD. Yeah. It's a he, he was a liberator of Buchenwald, my dad, and so on. And we had a fraught relationship. It, it's, you know, with someone who has unexplored PTSD and so on. But I looked at some of these pictures and I saw this um, rather sensitive um, man with a strong feminine component. Wow. And, uh, I, and I had some new thought. It was a small thought, like something like, Wow, it must have been very hard for him being him. And it's taken me, you know, 72 years to have that thought. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 my father was also in World War II. His best friend was blown up out of a plane. He was blown up in a tank. And, you know, so no surprise. So that. we keep going along. And unless we have this enormous compassion... Yeah. For our imperfect humanity, knowing that the imperfection, that our imperfections are boundless and endless. If we don't know that, then we get frustrated and we think that awakening means that we don't have those things anymore. And then we're kind of lost because then we've made awakening, as you, you just alluded to this, uh, an industry. Yeah. And it's an industry and we, and we set up shop in one place, we say, yes, now I've come to the land of uh, nirvana, whatever we're going to call it, the, uh, the Jason Shulman version of, of uh, awakening. And I live here and I have a house and maybe even a castle. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we set up shop and invite people to come to our castle. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, in Kabbalah, that's called a yesh. A yesh means an existence, a fixed thing. And that, of course, is not what awakening is. I so, had a, a, a thing which I started a few years about now, not that many years, where um, and I've done I don't know, a handful of them, where I, 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 just, I just did it one day. I just was out on a walk and grabbed my camera or wherever I was and just, just talked to the camera um, to talk to people who are interested in my work. And just really thought, look, I really want to just be Tim. I just don't want to be this image of Tim that you think or I've projected or I need to do for PR reasons so that you'll buy my whatevers. And what was really lovely was the response was so, it was just great. You know, it was, it was really like, phew, everyone was like, thank goodness. Yes, that's what we need. Let's communicate like that. No, it's, but it's so hard, isn't it, sometimes? It, yeah, it is. It yeah. is. You know, we have, a, we have a, I live in New Jersey, and we have a house up in Cape Cod, um, which is a beautiful area. It's a peninsula. Uh, out I know the song. In Cape Cod. <laughs> well, we live way out there. So out there, except if students come to visit me and I do retreats up there and so on, no one knows I'm a spiritual teacher. <laughs> so I hang out with artists and uh, other sorts of people, and uh, some of them uh, more marginal than others, and so on and so on. And I sometimes find myself wanting to, um, I don't do it, but I find the urge in myself to advertise myself in some manner so that I can reclaim my identity <laughs> instead of being, oh, well, Jason, he's that sort of old guy who lives uh, down there on, uh, on that road, right? 
what does he do? And I'm not sure. He must be a retired guy or something. <laughs> and it's like, it's like you with the camera, you know? It's kind of like, that's what we want. We want to be people among people and to yeah. be of use and so on. And there's this urge on that part of our egos to fix our identity so that we feel safe. Mm. You know, and... Or, or, or worthy, we perhaps. the wrong business to feel safe. Yeah. I'm sorry, I talked over you then. I didn't hear no, what you No, 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 I don't think you did. I was just musing, as, uh, and, and my glasses are steaming up. So, so, Jason, normally I start the conversation off with this, and I feels like, now feels like the moment, having, you know... Uh, you know, the, with this both and, with this feeling of, you know, well, the, the version for me would be uh, often what I'm saying to people is the biggest, the, probably the biggest change that's happened in my journey of awakening has, which has been full of amazing things for sure, and has been I'm, I'm more tolerant of Tim. I'm just he's he's he he pisses me off, but I'm all right with that <laughs> more than I was, and so in that, in that embrace. So given all of that stuff we've been, we've been sharing and I, you know, and, and I, you know, you've got this whole thing with Kabbalah, you've got this shamanism, Buddhism, but in the middle of that, as Jason and Tim, what, what, what is this that we're in? What is this experience we're having right now? And, mm -hmm. and what, what sense of you, what's the best sense you've made of it as to what, what it is and what we can do with it? Well, since I, I strive to the best of my limited ability to understand that the relative world and the transcendent world are different features of the same thing, my experience has been that when I drop my own conceptualizations, <clears throat> when I drop my own narrative momentarily enough to notice where I am, to be incarnated into this moment as we are, that the spectrum of what is acceptable in my consciousness becomes very broad. And that the material world starts scintillating, mm. glowing, with the universal, hmm. not because it's a beautiful diamond ring or a wonderfully made watch or uh, it's everything. It, it's, it's this pen. When I am in that particular consciousness, I look at this and this contains the universe to me, not in the sense of all the galaxies and planets and details, but that universal feeling that we talk about emanates from this because it cannot be anything other than the universe. Mm. So when I am not in my historical neurotic self and I'm in some other state, then even that historical neurotic self is another feature of this. And in, in my shamanistic work, we call this continuity density, where continuity is the, mm, the vast um, 
seemingly um, non-material flow of everything and density being the specified locatable manifest world that neither can exist without the other. And when I am in that mood, this is continuity density, which means I get a chance to live in the world of, let's use deistic language for a moment, of God appearing every moment in everything. Mm. I get that chance. I stop feeling that only the most transcendent experience is the experience because the most mundane experience and thing is the most enlightening as well. So there's, there's no problem in that. No, there's plenty of problems, but even the problems are part of this continuity density. So I don't have, again, I have all of my human struggles when I'm not able to remember that level of consciousness. But when I do, there's a great um, acceptance. It's not passive at all, because even my e ego and my desire to move, to learn, to transform reality is part of this whole continuity density. So there's no opposition that comes at that time. And I don't want to idealize it because, um, make it idealistic because all of the struggles are also part of that. All of the resistance is part of that too. So the, my experience is the more I'm in that, let's call it a mood or, percept, or um, perspective, the larger the table that contains everything grows. Is Ooh, making sense? Say that again. So the more in that perspective, the larger the table that contains everything grows. Right. In other words, <clears throat> so for instance, let's say um, I don't. Let's say I'm a selfish person, which I am, and I don't know it. Well, then that selfishness is miasmatically in my makeup as a human being, and I just act it out because I don't know that I'm selfish. And I do this and I do that, so on and so on. Maybe other people know it, but I don't. And then I do a lot of hard work and I say, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so selfish. I'm always looking at myself and not the other person. If I don't get caught by hatred, self-hatred at that point, and see it as my human imperfection, the metaphor I like to use is that it goes on the table. It can exist. It, it can exist. It's no longer miasmatically controlling my behavior. It's on the table. Now I see it. I'm kind to myself and to it. I see that it was part of my human struggle. On to the next thing. Now I find my arrogance and I say, oh, I never knew I was arrogant. And I put that on the table. Or I'm attached to enlightenment experiences. I think that's okay. I'll put that on the table. And the table grows larger and I become freer at the same time because my whole family of humanity is with me, that's but it's not me. It's not me at the same time. It is me and it's not me at the same time. So I get to be a little in love with the human predicament. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
One of the, one of the little changes I've tried to make to the way I use language, tiny little thing. I thought, for, well, for years, like everyone, because you know, I pick up things from what everyone else says, and then I repeat them. And uh, was I've talked about becoming more conscious, and then I kind of stopped and thought, well, what does that actually mean <laughs> to be more right. conscious? I'm more conscious when I'm kind of awake or I've had a coffee, but you know, I'm less conscious when I'm tired. But what does it mean? And I thought, really, what I'm talking about when I use that phrase is I'm conscious of more. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And look how much hard work went into that change. I know. It's that's... astounding, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, and then when, when you speak to people and you say that and you tell that story, they suddenly are more free. Yeah. Yeah. They, instead of being more conscious, who the hell knows what that means? And then you say, no, 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 conscious of more. They say, oh, I can do that. Yeah, that's it. And it's beautiful. That's and a beautiful I, 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 I feel, you know, listening to you, I get it. And, and I feel like that the, the, because of my particular nature and past and calling that that's what I, that's what I struggle to do is put in that legwork to be able to work out a better way to express something that's hard to express. And that's why you're a spiritual teacher. And that's what makes. I know you think of yourself as a stand-up philosopher, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've tried to hide behind a lot of things, Jason. <laughs> that's and, why and, you're a spiritual teacher, and that's why people love your books because that's what you're constantly doing. You're reframing your uh, experience with reality, and um, when you do that, because metaphor is reality; it's not a simile, like. This pen is like a, a stick. It's a metaphor is reality. It changes our perception. So that little change that you made there is vast. Yeah. Yeah. It's vast. It's powerful. Yeah. 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 More conscious, conscious of more. I love it. <laughs> so in that, in that journey that we're making and, and, we're becoming conscious of more, you become conscious of more. And both, both in a way, we talked about the waking up from and the waking up to, they're both being conscious of more, aren't they? They're both, one little thing you're waking up is you seeing the things you were unconscious of in yourself and your thinking, the concepts you assume just because everyone else assumes them, whatever it is, or, uh, or traits in oneself, and, you, and that sets you free. And then from that freedom comes a whole new thing. Oh my God, you know, I've never experienced that, or I've never seen this. Or, and, and, is it going anywhere? Another great question. So here's something I struggle with a little bit. As, as you mentioned before, there is a, um, uh, a spiritual movement in the world in the last number of years of uh, spiritual evolution. Okay, so that, that hides behind that phrase, or not hides, behind that phrase is a lot of assumptions that I think about and I wonder, is it true or is it not true? Okay. One of them is that we're on an evolutionary path, in which case there is a subtle conceptual trope, which is the universe seems to be pushing us to evolve, which means that there is a universe separate with its own program of development from us that's carrying us along. 
So I think about, well, is that... Hang on, hang on a second, Jason. You need to say that again for me. I didn't get that. Okay. I need to understand okay. that. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see if I can, if I can say it better. Evolutionary spirituality. Yeah. So I think about that. As my understanding is, and maybe I'm wrong, is that there is an evolutionary movement up the ladder of consciousness, so to speak, from less consciousness to more consciousness, to a less evolved spirituality, to a more evolved spirituality. And people find that very exciting. Um, I know I did uh, as a younger uh, spiritual seeker, uh, when I was part of something that was a movement toward something better in, in the world, uh, it was great. Now I ask myself questions about that. Here's the first question. Um, that evolutionary spirituality perspective has an unstated assumption behind it, which is that the universe as the motive force is taking us along because it has built into it a program of evolution. A program of evolution so from simpler forms to more complex forms. So as you said in the beginning, in the beginning was hydrogen. That was the scripture of uh, another, another scripture, which we can put with the world books of wisdom. I love that. In, in, yes. in, the, in the beginning was, was hydrogen. And hydrogen, there seems, to, there seems to be truth that the universe wants to evolve because hydrogen found oxygen and there was water. And, and instead of light, there was water. And then there were molecules and then there was heavy metals. And then there was us talking here over Zoom. So, so it's right to say there's some sort of evolutionary thing going on. It's also incorrect because it subtly makes the universe have this motive force that's pulling us along and there's a slight separation between us and the universe. So I ask myself, is this true or evolutionary spirituality? It seems to be true on one hand. On the other hand, it solves a number of egoic problems that we have, such as we want to feel we're getting someplace. It solves the problem of meaning and meaninglessness because if we're part of a, a troop of uh, spiritual seekers, we're going toward more and more meaning. So it solves that problem of what's it all about, Alfie? And uh, maybe uh, the universe is chaotic. So we don't have to deal with the chaotic aspect of the universe because now, well, it only appears to be chaotic, but actually there's a plan and we're evolving. So all of these questions for me come up with evolutionary spirituality. And I haven't, to be quite frank, I haven't come to a conclusion about it. I kind of am at the stage of trying to hold both of these things at the same time. The fact that um, it solves egoic problems that might be solved in a different way. There are other solutions to that egoic problem. But those other solutions I find are harder uh, because they lead us to a kind of um, emptiness and um, uh, a kind of stability that is not engendered by the outside. We have to find our own stability within this chaotic, impersonal universe. So 
I'm talking a lot about this, but it, it, I haven't come to a conclusion. These are all my questions. So, so let, me, let, me, let me offer you a different way of seeing the evolutionary thing, perhaps, Please. other Please. than the one which we're separated off and the universe has got an agenda, because I don't think any of that. Um, Good. You see, I'm, what I'm experimenting with, I'm always looking for the simplest foundation that I can find, which makes sense to me. So here's, the, here's my hypothesis that I'm playing with as a really, when I go, what is this? Well, what I see is that every moment is new. It's never happened before. So every moment is realizing a new possibility that's never happened. And that seems to have been happening from what we know with this particular universe for some 13 or 14 billion years. And each moment's been new. So my first, under, the underlying thing I've got, well, let, let me throw one more thing in this. If I then go back to 14 billion years ago, let's say, and go, okay, so what could you say about where that came from if that's what happened? Then we can say things like, well, God did it, or there was a big consciousness, or various things, all of which I've believed at various points in my journey. But if I was going to be, if I was going to be as, as uh, parsimonious as possible and say the least, then I feel like I can say, well, wherever the universe came from, it was the potential for the universe. So there's a potential which is nothing but the potential for everything. Uh, I like the word being. It exists, but it has no qualities. Which is in a process of becoming, of realizing itself. So my underlying thing, that my underlying um, hypothesis is, this is the realization of potentiality. That's what it is. And that... The other thing that I want to add to then is that, so something which has no form is in a process of realizing itself as form. Something which is, has no time, timeless, is in this flow of time. Um, and well, the other thing I notice about the moment, one of the things which I like about time, is it feels like not only is each moment a new moment that's never been realized before, but it contains within it implicitly everything that's happened in the past. So in this moment is everything that's happened to us. And indeed, us meeting the first time, us getting born, our parents getting born, um, everything. There's language, the Big Bang, solar systems evolving. It's all here. And that therefore, what's happening is that this process, the process of time, isn't a process of time passing. It's a process of part, the past accumulating. So there's just more and more of it. Once you start exploring that idea, suddenly you don't need there to be a program to this process of realization with something separate from us. There's actually the purpose of what this is, is built into its very nature, which is to realize things in more and more emergent ways, because the more past there is, the more, more possibilities can be realized. Until right now, we can realize, you know, it took a long time to just develop atoms, but you and I can say sentences which have never been said before instantly because it's just got richer and richer and richer. And then we are the universe, having individuated to this point. And then just to end that little bit of the story, or there's plenty more, obviously, but it is to say, and then the non-dual awakening we've been talking about, through that individuation, till you get to the point where we're experiencing this non-material realm of soul and full of images and ideas, the place where you and I are meeting now, that non-local doesn't exist in space or matter. All of that's evolved. Everything, this one flow of evolution. And then through that, you and I have been fortunate enough 
to actually become conscious of the potentiality of that vast emptiness from which everything is arising. I think which means that we're just conscious of ourselves. Yeah, as we're that. conscious of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that at that point, what's happening is through this process, that presence without form of being when we're conscious of our deep being, the universe is conscious of its deep being through us. And that is something which doesn't separate us off from it, but actually goes that, you know, that evolutionary process you're in, it's the whole, it's one thing and we are it. So I, 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 I that's what's attracted me to it um, is this sense of, wow. Yeah. This, this kind of pulls the deepest parts of spirituality and science all together in one narrative and it gives huge meaning to life and it makes embeds me in something much greater than than myself did that offer an alternative way of seeing the evolutionary thing yes it's it's, 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 well it it brings up some same problems but it also gives me a handhold that i didn't have before in in listening to you as you were talking before you said it I, i i wrote down this unfolding, we don't have to, and, I, and you said this, I'm not correcting anything that you said, I'm just restating it so I can hear myself in my own language and understand it better, yeah. which is we don't have to give that a personality, this unfolding that is doing this thing. Its nature is to unfold. Yes. It's in the same way a flower's nature is to do this. It's yes. not because it says, ah, I'm going to do this because... It's, na- it's built that way. It's built to do this. And you're saying that the type of potential that the universe has is built to manifest and sequentially, so let's put it out that way, time-space version, explore, not, ex- not even explore, because it's not self-reflecting. Its nature is to... I'm not even up. saying that, Jason. It's not even as grand as that. The, the real, the underlying thing is even simpler. The underlying, it, it, it has turned out that way, but the underlying thing is to go, what, what could reality be but the possibility for everything? I agree. So the possibility for everything... As if is, that makes a difference that Shulman agrees, but yeah. It does make a difference. I really like the feeling <laughs> when you say that. <laughs> is, is the possibility for everything is becoming everything. And, and, and the, what's happening is that things are becoming, it just starts with the simple. Now, my suspicion is this isn't the first universe and that everything repeats the past, just like my body repeated previous bodies. But the underlying principle isn't that. The underlying principle is simply the realization of potentiality in the, in, in the simplest of ways to the, to, to, the, to, the, to the richest. So what I've ended up with, bizarrely, and as someone who has a real range of traditions to draw on. You might like this because it captures two of my favorites for me in my journey is I feel like I've kind of got at the beginning, I'm a Taoist and at the end, I'm a Christian. Ah, I understand and that. Because at the beginning it feels like, look, what we're talking about is the one becomes two and two becomes three and that begets the 10,000 things. And that's the process of, and then the accumulation of the past is the thing which governs what will come next. The repetition yeah, of the habits of nature. And then where it's leading is the most emergent thing I could imagine, which is God. So that the universe is flowering into this being of love that I have the great privilege of connecting with from time to time. And when I'm like you, I can see in the pen and everything is what the universe is 
become just like the, the egg and the sperm became tin, able to do this. Wasn't it always that from the beginning, though? I don't think that's, I think that's the key for me, is that, is that if you make it that at the beginning, and this is a, very much my most recent thing I'm exploring, is if you make it at the beginning, you have all the problems of the traditional problems of God. You have the you know, problem of suffering. You have the problem of the program. You have the program of, you know, why were there five extinctions, the dinosaurs? That's, all that's not exactly what I mean. What I mean is... Okay. What I mean is, if, if we can concentrate on the material world for a second okay. and not make it um, uh, human-centric, anthropocentric... Yeah, 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 definitely. If we do it that way, then my experience is every manifest thing is love. That's the experience that I have, that every manifest thing is love. And the fact that I notice that it's love is my evolution, but not a change in the, uh, in the um, fundamental um, being existence of what these things are. In other words, I didn't make, they, they always were love. I've gotten to notice it. Okay, so I would disagree with that. Okay. I would suggest that the thing in them, which you call love, will become love when you see it. It's a bit like the color of the rose will become red when your eyes can see it. And the love which is there will become love when your level of, of emergence has arrived to see it in it, to realize that potential. Yes, I understand that. I think that's very wise. I don't know where I'm going to come down after I finish this conversation and think about it for another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, at this point, I would say it's both. So, the thing, it's both. so in a way, I am saying that because, because I suspect this isn't the first universe. So, I mean, that, that there is, that there are, that, that, that this, this process of manifesting and manifesting or realizing, not manifesting, realizing. But the, here's, the, here's the big shift for me from the traditions which I like, is that the traditions which arose, you know, or I'm kind of around the same sort of time, really, you know, the Axel Age and just after that and all the way through and all this, they, I feel like human beings really, some, small number, started waking up to the non-dual in such a profound way and develop what is essentially quite a negative the reason why we why do we come into spirituality and go hey the humanity humanity don't you know like don't 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 it's because so much of spirituality trashes it trashes what trashes humanity you know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you know it's like you know what basically you know, your mind's a problem that you think that's a problem that you've got attachments that's a problem you have yeah. emotions that's a problem <laughs> it's like you've got humanity you you have desires oh that's a problem and and on and on and then we're coming in and going, no, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. And, and I think what's wrong with it is that, well, one of the things, is that it comes from the idea of a fool. It's like, oh, well, God had a dream and got lost. Right. And now we need to go home. Right. Or you fell into samsara and now you need to get out of this shithole and never come back. And right. all those things. And I understand where that comes from because I experienced that. But what I love about this, I love the positivity and I called it, I think, earlier redeeming. It's like, if this is all moving, potentially, to the greater good, if it's all moving towards God, it's all redeemable. It's all... I, I, so, I completely understand. There's something course, beautiful and positive about that version of spirituality as, sure, a, as an alternative. I understand. That's why you called it before the, uh, toward the Christian. Um, 
uh, version of that. We could use other words than Christian. I resonate with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I resonate with that as well. I think my view differs just a little bit. Um, hard to put in words because I see a, a sameness all the way through. And I have to, uh, I lost what I was going to say because it was a very subtle thought that just went through. So I'm not going to try to capture it. Let me, let me turn, maybe it'll come back in some other form. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Which is, one of the things that I resist is that there is another realm that is uh, non-material. Um, I see no need for that, actually, because the existence of the material plane is awe-inspiring and astounding enough. The fact that something is, the fact that there is an is and an is not, so to speak, is rather completely awe-inspiring and mind-boggling and so on. So even when somebody has an experience of a vast immaterial plane, that's happening, as I said before, in the material body, in the material neurons, so on and so on. And then my personal experience of the material plane and the transcendent plane being contained in each other, if I can put it that way, there doesn't seem to be any need for me to posit a separate immaterial realm that will satisfy some spiritual need. Um, so I want to know what you think about that. Well, what I, what I see is there's the emptiness and then there's a pro there, then there's a, a, a materiality. I see that and an organic nature. I see that. And then it feels to me, I'm already experiencing a non-material realm. I, it, it, I, well, now we are in it. In the, 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 there are, my mouth is moving and making funny noises in the material realm. But what you're hearing are ideas and there's no ideas in the material realm. They just don't exist in the material realm. They're, they're in this non, they're in psyche and it's a non-material realm. It's not in space. It's not anywhere. It's a completely, it, that from this materiality turning into organic life has arisen this world of images and ideas. And that's, that's the latest thing. And that's where we're having this whole conversation. That's, that's where culture happens. That's where it all happens. And I inhabit it and I can go off into it in dreams and in meditation and in shamanic practices and on ayahuasca or all sorts. And there's a whole it feels like, wow, if this wasn't enough, if an infinite universe for 100 billion galaxies wasn't enough, there's also this realm of the imagination, which is just awesome. And they're all, they're all part of one thing. They're all part of one evolving current, but they're quite distinct. There's no mistaking the difference between this cup and my imagination, that cup. They're different. They're very one exists in space. One doesn't. One is made of matter. One isn't. And and they and the, that this seems to be a very the latest thing and where I spend most of my time. Mm. And that offers up the possibility, which would fit for me with my personal exploration, but also with all the end near death experiences and things like this. The idea that that when people go, well, I just went off into that realm. I think, well, okay, I've gone off into that realm. Why not? 
and that doesn't for me diminish the body at all or the physical because it just feels like wow that's the that's like the foundation from which all of that is arising and, and for which all of that will come back to they're all part of it's a bit like the the roots the stem and then the flower but the flower is like i don't know like the old lotus idea it's come out into a whole different realm it's like it's above the water wow what's this and you're right. in, in all of it but it has to be connected to its roots because that's its origin yes although it doesn't mean i don't think that i mean there's a, this is the this is a obviously a big topic but the the place i've been exploring is that um that the information on the level of soul and the information on the level of biology are clearly interacting right now and if i took a sleeping pill i'd go be unconscious and all the rest of it but i'm interested in the possibility that once it has reached a level of immateriality it doesn't necessitate material and uh, and I think the, the new computer stuff gives us great images for that because, you know, like I'm on my computer now and as we are speaking, everything is backing up to the cloud. And if my computer died, it's on my computer. I'm interacting with my computer, but it's also not just on my computer. It exists non-spatially in my metaphor. And, and, and my sense is that, 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 that that's a way of understanding this perennial idea. Um, and, and what's reported by, you know, hundreds of thousands of people now in near-death experiences that, that actually, that, that this process of individuation that the universe has got into is not going to let go of the individual when the body dies. It's not about bodies. Bodies was all about species. We've reached a level now where it's all about individual psyches. That, and, and that those, it's ju ju just as life and death arose with biology, <laughs> that didn't exist before that now death is, is, is not relevant to the psyche. That's something, it exists in the non-material realm and, and continues to do so. Mm. That's the era I've been, I've been exploring. And, and, mm. and, and not because this isn't enough, but just because it feels like, well, I don't know, it seems like it's there. And you know, I, I'm surprised in a way, if I'm honest, I'd like you to come back on this, that with your shamanic work and all the rest of it, that that, that seems very much about exploring that the imaginal realms. As well, well, yes, absolutely. Only my, my view of it is a little bit different and I'm okay. a little um, puzzled at how to, uh, how to talk about this. Uh, in my shamanic work, we look at um, reality as a single world. This actually yep. a, <clears throat> a chapter in my book on the non-dual shaman called The Single World. So I look at things as a continuum of intensities yeah. rather than material or not material. So you and I, the intensity that we're having right now, our main focus of our consciousness is on each other and listening to each other and thinking, what do we think? And so on and so on. And your consciousness of um, your, uh, you're a married man, aren't you? I am. Okay. Me too. So your consciousness of your wife, um, is not at play here, but if I mention, uh, how's your wife doing, you could shift your consciousness very easily and quickly. And if I say, uh, your consciousness of your, uh, uh, your childhood friend, you'd have to kind of search through this imaginal space, and you'd say, oh, Bob, uh, Bob's okay, he's uh, living in Wales now, and we don't know why, <laughs> whatever. 
and um, and and so on. And as we and then let's say I ask you further about someone who was passed on, a friend of yours. They're not present, and they're not present there. But you could find them somehow in this space, um, which you would call non-material. I wouldn't call that non-material. I would call that um, uh, very undense or very unvivid. Uh, less vivid, less vivid, and less vivid, until such time as our receptors, as our ability, our instrument, can no longer authentically get to something. But some people who have certain talents can get further and further in this single world. Meaning, the implication is, in this single world, everything exists. Nothing leaves this single world. Things just change along the continuum from very vivid, to not so vivid, to very, very faint. But everything exists in some form and is held in that form by the material world. That the material, one of the qualities of the material world is that it has this ability to have dimensionality, let's call it that, and that there are three dimensions and then four dimensions and then Kabbalah is in 10 dimensions and probably there are more dimensions, but let's stick with 10 for a moment. And that 10 dimensions might give a three-dimensional consciousness a sense of something being immaterial. But to a 10-dimensional person, it wouldn't be immaterial at all. It would just be a less vivid part of the single world. So I think you've, for me, what you've just done I mean, I, I relate to that completely. I just think you've expanded the word materiality, or you're using it in a very expansive way. That's how I. That's how I. That's how I experience it. The reason I like that, for me, you know, in our creative work, your creative work, and my creative work, we're always trying to solve problems, actually, of our own psyches and our own journey. Exactly. We're trying, right? That's what we're doing. It's, totally. it's a creative enterprise, really. Totally. And, you know, uh, I like to read Freud and Jung and, you know, Freud with his drive theory was trying to solve his aggressive personality and <laughs> Jung with his archetypes was trying to solve his tendency towards psychosis. You know, it was like, and they were brilliant, so we got some good stuff from them. But, so what this solves for me is um, the need for there to be any um, motive force that's separate from the material world, that the material world, it, you know, people could mistake this for a materialistic attitude, but for me it's not at all, because it's the entire universe is created in this particular way. So I think you hit the nail on the head. I've expanded the concept of, of the material to include the entire spectrum, some of which appears to our consciousness when our consciousness is limited to certain dimensionality as immaterial, but when our consciousness is expanded to more dimensionality, seems not immaterial at all. I, I think, that, yeah, I mean, it, because if you, I'm quite happy for you to use that word, I like it, it's the matter, it's the mother, it's all, you know, it's the, it's all, and, and if I think of it like that, if, I, I hear what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Jason, but what I'm hearing really is, is that all form is form, that, that, that there's not, it's not, you know, it's all one spectrum, it's all related. And that's completely what motivates my evolutionary approach is like this one thing, look, and- 
I, I, I do understand this. So, so for me, it would be like, well, what I'm yeah. using the word material for is, um, you know, th things, th the sensory world. And then there's a, not, there's, then there's a marginal world. However, uh, in, the, in the work that we do, we can touch those imaginal worlds. In fact, this is a perfect place for me to put this in because we see the stuff that's in this immaterial world as objects. Oh, quite yeah, right. I, I completely... And can be manipulated and touched. Great. Because, okay, so one of the big things for me, which I'm playing with again, which is a big break for me, was to say in, the, so, so for me, there is a process of evolution happening. One process when, and you could see it, if I, the word that I tend to use because it's big in physics, it seems a good word, or the objective is information. So it's just information. It's maybe that's what you're calling material. It's just like there's one, it's just different forms of emergent information. Mm -hmm. And then all of it's being experienced by everything so right from the beginning everything's got a once once you have anything individuated even a, even an atom a molecule anything it then has a relationship with the whole and that relationship is and it's receiving information even in a very primitive electrochemical way from the whole so you have subject and object and then that subject and object is going to evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve and evolve until you reach us so and then what 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 the, the the one of the changes for me was the way i looked at it which was really helpful for me and it's still only just shaping is that there's an assumption especially in science often in spirituality too that the psyche is the whole thing the imaginal realm everything is the like the subjective aspect of the brain and what i've come to explore is no 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 the subjective aspect of the body is sensation. And the, on the level of information that we're experiencing meaning in, it has its own subjective and objective nature, that the psyche is objective as well as sub, it's not just a subjective thing. It's an objective realm, which you can hold things and touch things. And it has yeah. a, it, it, it has its own reality and that, that therefore there's a subject and objective here and a and they're, they're one evolving current but they're not the same they're not um they're not I, reducible I, I agree 100 percent. so let me ask you a question you have a, a hydrogen atom and that atom seeks out i'm personalizing this we don't have to but I'll, I'll <laughs> is, is he lonely this atom is that why it's lonely it's oh, so damn oh, lonely oh, and it seeks out oxygen yeah. It seeks out a relationship with oxygen. So there's something about the fundamental blueprint of this universe, material universe, that um, is a relational matrix, so to speak. It's set up that way. The nature of every individual piece of material world. And we could go below atoms to, you know, to mesons and muons and bosons and all sorts of subatomic zoo subatomic zoo and say all of it is trying to combine and have a relationship with all of it is doing that it's part of its nature to do this that that relationship is the entire matrix of this universe and the constant ethos or constant coloration or theme of this universe all the way up to 
this guy, Tim, in Glastonbury, is that where you are? It, it is, yeah. In Glastonbury and Jason in New Jersey, relating. We're excited to relate. There's something that has brought us together from the billions of combinations and so on. That's what I call, that's one of the aspects that I call love. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning, there is this desire to touch, this desire to exchange, this desire to, you know what I'm saying? So I do, although, I, although I, w- I would want to say, like I said earlier, that the thing that we talk about as love has evolved from this, the, 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 what we call desire has come from a, a, an attraction between particles or, and that it will emerge into the richness of what we see from those. Well, I find that pretty rich. I find hydrogen and oxygen's dating relationship pretty rich. As yeah, it although, you know, you know, it took an awful long time for them to find each other. Yes. And, and, and so, so my, my suspicion is that there's either they found each other because it happened before and they were kind of repeating a pattern like everything does through the habits of the past, or it took a long time because there was that possibility, but it wasn't going to be realized until it, it did. Whereas you and I have arisen at a level where we actually can go, I really want to speak to Jason and we can connect. Right. I understand, not, the speed. I understand time changed. Yeah. But also intentionalities there. I don't think there's any intentionality with a, with a, that's only because we are complex creatures who have developed the concept of intentionality. I, I think there could be no intentionality without the concept. Say again. I don't know that there could be intentionality without intending without seeing a future having consciousness of the past the future all this is which is going to take a long time to arise until then it feels like look it's pretty chaotic and the reason it's so chaotic is simply because those things haven't arisen yet yeah that's that's why evolution is so slow and 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 chance and so i i think one of the differences in our approach to this and ultimately you know they're unimportant to a certain extent because we both keep evolving and at a certain point we have to shift the conversation in a certain sense to how this helps people and so yeah. on and so on. And we'll come to that in a second, I'm sure. But um, let me see, I just lost uh, what I was going to say, uh, Lordy. Um, what was the, bring me back one sentence. You were talking, you had talked about the attraction between hydrogen and oxygen to form water and how that had come through to us. Yes, and I, that- I remember, I remember. Part of my process, my meditative process, if you will, is that the search for meaning always separates me from what I'm trying to find out. Because then there is locked in place a subject and an object. There's a subject, Jason, who's trying to find the meaning of and fill in the blank, the objective world, his psychic world, his emotions, his suffering, his this, that, and so on and so on. So the search for meaning for me in my evolution um, was a dead end because it always uh, posited the fact that Jason was a subject and then there was another object out there that he had to explore and find out. And what I found that I was avoiding, that to make progress, I would have to include meaninglessness or, uh, as I sometimes call it, the unsolvable. 
And that unless I could bring the unsolvable as it is, not, to, not as something that could be solved, but to bring it full tilt into my table, you know, um, that I was not going to have a full relationship with reality. Because if I stayed with only, I will solve this, and I'll solve that, then I'll solve this, and I'll solve that, then Jason remains the same in his solving consciousness, solving these things one at a time, he thinks. While if I allowed the unsolvable to be there and brought that in, something got enriched immeasurably by my ego's inability to package that part of reality neatly so that it fit into my egoic sense of what life and the universe was about. So that seems like a really good place to maybe move on from our, from our evolutionary stuff because it's taking us right back to where we started, which, from, which as I remember it, was one of us and then me remarking on it was mystery. And I said, you know, because for me, it's all starts and finishes with, I don't know, with this, with something beyond. So the whole of the philosophical part, and it's a, for me, it's, a, it's the, like that's another both and for me. It's like I, I, if I lose the mystery, if I lose the actual wonder of incomprehension, Ooh, I love then, that. I, then I have lost the whole thing. That's right. And, it and informs then, everything, doesn't it? It informs everything. 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 So, the, mm. you know, when I, when I had my experience last Sunday, the Sunday before last, there was no thinking about meaning or any of it. There was just, oh, just unspeakable and beauty and love and no Tim, nothing. As I come back into Tim, I see then, oh, and then there's this story which I need to make sense of as best I can. And the deeper the story the better the living of it. And then somehow those two, have, well, they don't somehow, in the same way that you've described all of those polarities existing together, they coexist. And if I lose either, um, I'm lost. And, and for me, and, I, and it's hard to get across this because people often look at me, I think, and think, oh, you're trying to you know, say the way it is. And I'm really not. I'm actually, it's a bit like if I said to you, Jason, I, you know, I want to tell you how to get from my office to my house and where you turn out you turn right you go down the garden and just go in the back door it's like well that will help because you could get to my house but as a description of what's between here and my back door it doesn't begin to touch it this whole universes and life forms and thing every little crevice and 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 i feel like an evolutionary philosophy is like that it's just like you know there's this enormous and it's like yeah i think well hydrogen turns into <laughs> it's like it's such a, a cartoon of yeah, yeah, what yeah. reality is, and yet it could get you to the back door. You would like and, to meet my wife. You would love my wife a lot because that's what she exists in most of the time. Uh, <laughs> every morning, every morning, every evening, I hear this. Oh, it's beautiful. It's I love beautiful. that too. I yeah. love that. I love that. I, I understand. I understand. And that's what makes us brothers, you know. It is. Absolutely it is. And it, and, it's the, and it allows the, it allows the, the, the experience and the inquiry because because you're it's always growing and changing and there's always like well that's that's a bit better that's interesting sure the experience and the inquiry are both allowed to exist as yeah. features of this universe the mystery 
or as I say, the unsolvable. Unsolvable. Because that's my personality it tends to be less ecstatic. But the <laughs> the mystery and the and the unsolvable have a right to exist in their completeness with meaning and solving as well. Yes. 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 Then Hallelujah. We have tremendous richness. Yeah. And we have a path that, for instance, can. Uh, can be Taoist and Christian at the same time, can be deistic and non-dual at the same time. Yes. All of them are features on the table of this incredible uh, universe that we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's it. And, and for me, with that, with that polarity, and you talked about it earlier, it's coexisting, and then it feels like, and from the coexisting, with that being conscious of more, that I become, co- that I'm able to take my consciousness to my attention to different places, depending on the moment, and and so that it that 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 I'm not cut off from the depths. I can find those if I need to, but I can also come right into the trivial if I if I want to. Or I can absolutely. You know, it's like they're both satisfying. They're both you know, satisfying. If, if I'm making love, I don't want to be sitting there going, "So, how does this relationship work? Should we talk it through?" <laughs> you know? On the other hand, when that's a problem, you need to, you know, it's like whatever, so that I have that fluidity. That feels very Taoist to me. That kind of fluidity where you just go, "Oh, this way or that way," and and the 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 more that's on the table, the more I can do that because then I can go, "Where am I going to look on the table? I think I need that tool." That's right. That way. That's right. You're no longer a slave. You're a slave in the big sense, in the or in mystery sense, because who are we after all? But you're not a slave to your personal self in the same way. And there's more freedom because you pick up the tools you need to put down the tools you don't need. And you then have more bandwidth for this mystery. Yeah. 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 And that does become, I think, I think I've launched myself into the most philosophical period of my life. But it was interesting to me when I look back is because what happened immediately before it was just com- just overwhelmingly about the mystery. I mean, yeah, yeah, I understand. You know, I did a book called The Mystery Experience because that's what it, you know, it's like it's, and, and yeah, both and. I think that was the both and that brought us together in the first place, Jason. Yeah. I think that was yeah. The, yeah. the seeing how they. Well, I, I love your exuberance. I mean, that's one of the things that's in your books so much with, as you explore and change your language, because that's one of the things you do and come to a new, uh, each time in the ones that I've looked at, uh, a more inclusive way of saying something, something that unites opposites and a new conceptual thing. Um, there's always this sense of exuberance, excitement, and exploration. And that's what makes your work attractive. Thank you. Well, that, that means a lot coming from you. That really does. That really does. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> that, was, that was hot and heavy, wasn't it? That was great. That was great. So you said, how does this help anyone? And maybe, that's a, maybe, maybe we should just play a little bit there to complete our thing. It seems like actually a very simple question to me from this conversation. When you said, not more conscious, but conscious of more, that's something that's close to my heart because I think that one of the talents I've brought to my work is my ability to use language to express the formerly inexpressible. And that people who are um, willing to explore new. Uh, language to uh, talk about spiritual experience and a spiritual journey and so on 
are important in this world right now because it's, you know, there are many ways to help. There are people who go out to uh, poverty-stricken areas and bless their hearts and make pure water and so on and so on. I have not been that kind of person. I've been the kind of person who's been able to do this. So within this limited definition of a, a, a so-called spiritual teacher, um, changing language, reframing language, although it may seem trivial to some, is a profound change in, you know, it's in politics too. When someone comes along, for good or ill, when someone comes along with a new metaphor for society, people say, wow, I never thought of it that way. I can get on board with this. Sometimes with unscrupulous people and sloganeering, it's terrible. But in our work, when we are finding words that consolidate reality, we're helping people because we've given them and ourselves, because we did it for ourselves first, a new way to look at reality that alleviates some degree of suffering. So I think... I think that captures it perfectly. That is, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And a bit like when you said that lovely stuff about Jung and Freud and all of us, maybe that's what we're all doing. We all wrestle with our own particular, you know, we're all so, you know, we're all the same and we're all completely unique with our own, you know, one of the, one of the things just that I love about this idea of the, the, what, what the, about the past accumulating, that it's all there, that, that, that nothing's been lost, uh, that the universe is in a sense made of the past. And the, 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 the laws of nature are, in fact, the habits of nature. You know, and that means that you and I are the past. And that, that therefore everything which I've ever been is meeting everything that you've ever been right now. Everything. And it can, will always be what we are. And you said it beautifully. You said earlier, you said something, I forget the phrase you used, but it's very similar to one I use, where you said about, you know, I am this journey. Or something like that. That's yeah, my yeah, sense. Yeah. I yeah. I don't have a life. I am this life. That's right. I I'm actually am it. That's what I am. And what I'll take with me when I die, I suspect, is nothing but this life that I am. Yeah. Everything that's ever, I'll take my past. I'll take yeah. the whole past. And, and, and there's something so lovely about that. And therefore, I, I'm unique because of everything I've ever been. And you're unique because of everything you've ever been. And therefore, I have a unique perception of the universe. And from that, I will try and resolve whatever it is as a philosopher or a plumber or whatever it is, or an artist. And then that's what I have to give. And that's what, that's what we can share with each other. And the sharing is the love. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we came in with a genome before we did anything that was unique, yeah. that enabled us to have certain experiences and do certain things. Yeah. You know, uh, Ramana Maharshi, for example, was of a certain type of person that he slept so deeply that his uh, schoolmates, when he was the 12, 13, 14, used to have a joke they played on him, which was to carry him out of his bed into the fields, and he'd wake up in the fields. I didn't know that. And uh, Jason has had sleep problems his whole life, which are getting worse. I've been up since uh, 3.30 this morning because I hardly sleep. Now, 
uh, I would love to have Ramana's uh, genome. <laughs> now, that allowed him to have certain spiritual experiences, <clears throat> certain types of spiritual experiences. Jason, who has a very um, frizzy uh, <laughs> genome around that kind of thing, has a different set of uh, challenges and solutions to come up with in his life. If so, I didn't love you enough already, Jason, I would love you forever just for that. Everyone else I've ever met wants to have wants to be like Ramana Maharshi so they can be more awake, but you want to be more like Ramana Maharshi so you can get a good night's sleep. Absolutely. That's about it. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a few. Oh, well, it doesn't get better than that. So thank you for sharing this conversation. It's been well, um, you know, I, I thank you so much because um, your ability to want to talk to people, you know, I teach a lot, but I'm a little bit of a loner. And if you hadn't invited me to talk with you, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have sought that out because I just do my work in my cave and then I go, my, go out and teach and so on and go back to my cave. But you have this uh, ability beside whatever you do privately to reach out and want to converse with people, uh, which I'm uh, speaking about awe. I'm a little in awe of, because it's not part of my makeup. So I uh, thank you so much for uh, having the, uh, the wherewithal to set this all up. Good. Well, I'm so pleased we did, and um, I hope we get the chance to do it again, but not so quite so long next time. I'll let you know if I come back to uh, the UK again. Yeah, please. I'll visit. That oh, that would be such a delight. Okay. Have, have you ever been to Glastonbury? To the States. Say. Have you ever been to Glastonbury? Yes, I have. Okay, right. Years so, yeah, and years. Ago. You years know how crazy ago. it is here. Before I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All my love to you. Thank you. Yeah, so much love. Uh, privilege, privilege to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. You're a brother. <laughs>